millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Blockbusters are back this Christmas on Sky Cinema with Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, The Batman, The Amazing Maurice and Paramount Plus included at no extra cost. Join or upgrade today. Search Sky Cinema. Paramount Plus set up required for the terms apply. Call Michael now. 041-983-2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Tuesday morning, the 6th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Yesterday, the consultant body of doctors in Our Lady of Lourdes in Drogheda met with management in the hospital to discuss their concerns about the additional pressure expected to come on the emergency department from next Monday. On Monday, a new protocol will come into force requiring ambulances to bypass Our Lady's Hospital in Navan and bring patients to Drogheda instead. The doctors in Drogheda are so worried about the way this will compromise patient care in Drogheda that they wrote to the Minister for Health. They've asked Stephen Donnelly to reconsider this decision and they've asked the Minister to defer implementing the change until such time that Drogheda can cope with the extra patients. Right now, the consultant doctors say Drogheda will not cope and if patients are brought to the Lourdes instead of Navin, it will be unsafe and patients may die. Let's speak first of all this morning uh, to Fine Gael TD for Loud and Meadeast. Fergus O'Dowd is on the line and a very good morning to you Fergus O'Dowd. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Can you make sense of any of this? Well I think what we have to make sense of is that any patient must get the best possible care in the nearest centre to them after them and anything that is unsafe obviously shouldn't happen so we have to listen to what the doctors are saying in relation to all ambulances uh, moving to the doors and draw the uh, from Navin and if they're saying it will be unsafe and if they quote on the letter I've seen says you know people may die uh, that's not acceptable at all and absolutely there must be uh, this decision must not go ahead if the doctors that will be treating these patients are saying this, well, well, the minister has to listen to them. It's as simple as that, Michael. OK, uh, but uh, the minister has issued or uh, approved uh, this directive, uh, at least, uh, and <coughs> it's uh, to come into force from uh, the 12th. Uh, That's a bit of paper in one sense. I mean, these are people's lives. And, uh, you know, the people, people are entitled to be treated appropriately. And if the, the receiving hospital 
and there are 16 doctors down. And it's not that positions haven't been advertised. They haven't been filled to date. So you can't expect people who are under huge stress and burnout, in fact, looking at issues. I mean, they do a fantastic job, all of the staff. Doctors, nurses, all of the staff of theirs do a fantastic job. Uh, and we can't put them under pressure. If they're saying their professional opinion is that it shouldn't happen, well, then we have to try and find a solution for the patients that is safe for them, uh, but doesn't involve the lures right now, physically, literally, as we speak. And one of the issues, uh, I think, is that, you know, if, if, we, if we hold the principle that people should be treated as near as possible in the safest way with the appropriate medical governance, what I would suggest, and I'm only just thinking out loud on this, Michael, is there not a case to be made for Navin Hospital to come into the same management system as, as the Lourdes Hospital is? Now, I'm not fighting over whether it's the Mid-Ireland Group or the or CSI Group, but Navin and Drogheda have a lot in common. Mead and Loud have a lot in common. And I think if you can deal with the uh, the governance issues, the additional governance issues, because of the skills that are available in the laws, if they can be provided uh, to, to Navin and keep the patients, if at all possible, in Navin, to me that makes sense to everybody. Okay, uh, it's not like the minister hasn't had time uh, to consider all of uh, the options in front of him. Uh, the minister was told in November that there is a risk of patients dying, not in Drogheda, uh, as he was told this week by consultants, but in Navin. Yes, and, and the minister received a number of letters outlining how patients were very close to dying. Uh, and all but for the grace of God, they survived because the hospital isn't equipped to deal with the complexities of the conditions that they presented with. Uh, the minister... Uh, has had that information uh, and has been aware of the risks in Navin since November of last year. Uh, And since November of last year, the Minister has done absolutely nothing. He has acted in no way whatsoever that would alter that situation, that life-threatening situation, that threat of an unnecessary risk of death for patients because they're being brought to a hospital not capable of looking after their needs. The minister has, to all intents and purposes, sat on his hands. The HSE then moved and attempted to close the emergency department in June. Uh, The minister then did intervene, probably for political reasons, and stopped the closure of the emergency department. But again, did nothing to improve safety in the hospital. The hospital is at the same risk today, or patients going into that hospital are at the same risk today as they were November, over a year ago, with the knowledge of the Minister for Health. Uh, And that situation pertains. Uh, The Minister then commissioned a review into the dangers in Navin, which uh, happened towards the recess, close to a a year after being told people could die. Uh, That review has not reported yet And now the minister has signed off on a a protocol to bypass patients. He is acting. Uh, But as he does so, uh, he's failed to consult, it would seem, with the people on the front line in Drada who have gone to him because he didn't go to them. And they've said, Minister, you can't do this. You're putting lives at risk. So now you've got two very, very dramatically 
horrible, serious situations that the minister has responsibility for. There's a risk of patients dying in Navin, and the solution is the minister decides to send those patients to Drogheda, where they may die. Uh, is, Stephen Don- is, is, is Stephen Donnelly the right person to be Minister for Health? Well, obviously, uh, the minister is appointed, whoever he or she may be, by the Taoiseach of today, and it's up to the Taoiseach uh, to make his decision on Stephen Donnelly. But like what I'm saying, Michael, is I hear everything you're saying, and you've outlined it very fairly and objectively there. If, if, if there could be a solution found, and I'm only saying if, and I'm not competent or qualified in this area at all, if the Lords could provide additional governance and oversight and staff, if necessary, uh, to the Navin Hospital that would keep those patients in Navin and that they could be treated safely. Uh, because, as we know, Lourdes Hospital can't take them because it hasn't got it hasn't got the doctors to do it right now. Is that a possible alternative? And I would, that's what I would be urging. Now, like other TDs, I'd put down a motion uh, for the doll, now whether it's taken or not, it's a matter for the town caller. But I, I think if we all work together, which everybody wants to save as many lives as possible, mm. it, this is the only way to do it. Um, and I think that... But, 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 but uh, as a TD for the area, uh, sure. I, I have to ask you, because we've been grappling with this for months now, uh, and the concerns that people in Mead have about the hospital in Navan, now there's concerns in Drogheda, and we all saw what happened in Drogheda over the weekend. Ambulances lined up, people in ambulances for five hours because they couldn't get into the hospital, and now they're going to set more ambulances there. And the doctors have written to the minister and have asked them, to stop this, uh, and if he doesn't stop, yeah. if he doesn't just stop it, people ambulance. will die. If if if, if, if he goes, uh, if, if he does stop it, people will die in Navin. I, I mean, it really isn't a tenable position for the minister, is it? Well, I, I just want to make the point there, just on the ambulances. First of all, I, I understand on Saturday there were two hundred and twenty-seven people attended the emergency department, and sixty of those were actually admitted to hospital. There were 60 ambulances, not just the 11 that were waiting there for the amount of hours that they were. There were 60 ambulances dropping patients there all day. Uh, but no patient, I'm informed, no patient was treated in the back of an ambulance and there were no critical patients in the ambulances. I, I, I am informed. One of the problems was that people can't get GPs. And the problem is that some of the patients, I understand, that were told that they won't get a GP appointment till January. Mm. So that is also unacceptable. Uh, but I think the Lords, in fairness to everybody there, uh, I think they did a fantastic job. And I understand mm. on Friday there were also 60 uh, admissions as well. So the problem about the Lords, just for clarity, the number of beds there as a TD for the area, mm. in 2015 there were 357 beds yeah. in the Lords. Today there's 478. And it's one of the best performing about. emergency departments in the country. In yeah, fairness, it, it, I mean, it was. In fairness to it, it was. I mean, one, it was the worst, if not one of the worst. Oh, Michael, and and recently, for the area, yeah. you've asked me to account for my. Oh yeah, my, no, but my, I'm just saying that. No, no, no the, you're not being critical of me. Yeah. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that. Mm-hmm. And the other point is, sixty million mm. has been spent by the government in the Lord's Hospital, and properly so. And that's why it's one of the best hospitals in the country. And up to now, and I know there have been some issues recently. They've turned it round from the hospital that was always on the list 
of the biggest number of people waiting for attention, uh, you know, couldn't get proper and appropriate beds. You know, it's it's off the list for most of that time, and that's because of the unity and the equipment in that hospital. So the issue now is, can is there a new configuration uh, at, at managerial level and at medical governance level that they could look again at, at not bringing patients from Navan and give additional resources, if possible, additional oversight, uh, medical oversight to Navan. Is that the way forward? And that's the proposition I think has to be looked at now. The Minister should not proceed, in my view, with, with his proposals on Monday because clearly and obviously it's only going to create stress for the people who will be in those ambulances, mm. for families, and for everybody wants a resolution to this. And my my role is to, is to try and find that, that, that role. Okay, but are you satisfied with a minister who has ignored a risk of unnecessary death in Navin since November of last year. And just to ask the question, because it's a two, it's a two-part question, has ignored okay, has ignored the risk of unnecessary death yeah, in Navin yeah. since November, and is now signing off on a new protocol, which doctors say could result in people dying unnecessarily. Well, Michael, I'm not a fan of the minister for he knows that, and everybody the doll knows that. I believe his refusal to have an inquiry into Dalgan House is absolutely and totally unacceptable. He's waited over two years, two years to meet the families. He told them November two years ago he'd meet them again. He he refused to answer a question I asked him last week. Would he meet them again? He refused to answer. So I'm not I'm not in his fan club. But what I am saying is that the decision rests with him, and it does. And I'll be pushing tonight if, or, or tomorrow, whenever it comes up at the doll, when we get the opportunity to speak if we're selected, mm. uh, to make that point, you know, that, that he has to look at a third alternative. Um, and but if, but if, seriously, if, if can, it can, can, be done, can, somebody, can somebody be allowed to uh, look at the... Uh, the the medical expertise, the advice from the medical expertise, the clinical advice since November of 2021 uh, and uh, ignore what the doctors are saying that somebody could die uh, and then today come along and implement a protocol uh, that uh, is is going to result in unnecessary deaths, according to the medical expertise, the consultant body of doctors. Well, Michael, in as, as I understand, I might be wrong on this, and again, I'm not an expert, but at the moment, as as we speak, uh, the situation is that's before Monday, all trauma, all surgery, all stroke case patients from Navin are fast tracked into the Lourdes because they can, because they're serious and they don't have the skills in Navin the medical skills uh, to deal with the complexities of those situations, right? Now, if every other person who who is going to Navin at the moment has been dealt with, if all of them are going to be sent to the Lourdes in addition to those patients, I think that's the issue. And I mean, the Lourdes certainly can't cope with that. But can Navin, can changes be made in Navin to keep Navin open, to provide them with the essential care that they need with an, a greater involvement and oversight from the Lords. I think that's the way forward. Okay. Uh, but, uh, be, but again, you'd have to put that to, to medical people. Okay. Uh, uh, just uh, to conclude, the same question put a, a different way uh, before we finish up. Can I ask you, in relation to this issue, do you have confidence in the Minister? Do I have confidence in the Minister? Well, the Minister... Uh, <laughs> Michael, if I say I have no confidence in the Minister... Uh, 
that that could well very well be the truth, but I'm not going to say that. I, I'm I'm giving them another opportunity to deal with this issue, and and with other issues, uh, because you know, like I, I believe a solution can be found, and I believe the minister should seek such a solution. Um, and and if he doesn't, you know, it'll it'll have serious complications for people's lives, and that's that's not acceptable. Okay. Thank you indeed. Uh, as okay, always, thank, you, thank you very much indeed. Uh, that's uh, Finnegale TD for Loud and me, the East Fergus Hotel. 086 1800 658. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. It'll be disastrous if uh, they close Navin. The Lords won't cope, uh, says uh, Deirdre Breda was on a trolley in hospital over the weekend. She says it was a very bad experience. She couldn't breathe. She needed oxygen and the Lords was packed out. They can't cope with the large crowds. This is a very serious issue, says Breda. Good morning, Michael, says Claire and Mead. The simple thing to do is upgrade Navin. Thousands and thousands of extra people in uh, this country upgrade and stop whinging our government has no respect for ordinary people. Betty Daly says you may be sure if Stephen Donnelly or any other minister's family member needed an emergency treatment, they wouldn't have to sit in A&D for 20 hours or more. They'd be seen immediately, so don't care about the rest of us. Margaret says the HSE keeps telling us uh, that Our Lady's Hospital is unsafe, but can they or HICWA tell us that every other hospital in the country is 100% safe? Sadly, people die in all hospitals, so does that make them all unsafe? All hospitals should be audited and the results published so people can see themselves how safe they really are. Will patients in Mead have to die in other hospitals before the HSE realise the mistake that they're making, says Margaret? Desi in Balbriggan says, Michael, what has Damien English, Thomas Byrne and all of the others who said that this wouldn't happen got to say about this? Now, thanks, Desi. Uh, We asked uh, Minister Damien English uh, to talk about this on the programme with us yesterday. He thought he might be able to do it today. Turns out it won't be possible or tomorrow either, but maybe on Thursday or Friday. Uh, and we spoke uh, to Shane Castle's uh, Fianna Fáil senator, who probably uh, was uh, giving an indication of, of what Thomas Burns' thinking is on this, Desi. But thanks for asking. Now let's uh, hear a little bit more. Ain 2 TD for Mead West, Peter Tobin, chair of uh, the Save Navin Hospital campaign, is on the line. A very good morning to you and thank you uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. This has been a a long, drawn-out saga, but uh, it has gone from the ridiculous to the sublime because uh, we had one unsafe situation. Uh, The Minister now seems uh, to have signed off on creating two unsafe situations. Yeah, I think in all the years, Michael, that we've been discussing uh, this issue, I think we're reaching peak chaos now in the health service. Um, and especially in the A&E area. So last, so far this year, we have had 100,000 people on trolleys. November just gone by was an absolute record. And an incredible figure, 75,000 patients last year attended A&E, waited to seek uh, treatment, and then left because treatment was taking so long. So never actually got treatment at all. That's an incredibly damning statistic. And then the weekend that's gone by, you know, it's just mind-boggling. 11 ambulances outside of Drogheda Hospital on a Saturday night where patients are waiting up to five hours to be taken off that ambulance. The reason they can't get into the A&E is because the A&E doesn't have beds, trolleys, or even a chair for them, that the A&E is so busy inside. There isn't 
enough capacity to be able to deal with the patients. And as a result of that then, those ambulances are literally taken out of service for those five hours. They are not available to deal with emergency calls across the region. And now there's reports that in Cavan Monaghan on Saturday night, there simply was no ambulances available to people who are ringing for an ambulance as a result. Mm. And so this is a, a, an incredible situation that is leading to ill health, that is leading to people suffering. Uh, we know that 360 people die a year as a result of A&E overcrowding across the state. And this is, 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 is particularly the case here. Now, one of your texters mentioned there earlier about we should have the results of each hospital to see how safe they are. We put a parliamentary question in to the, 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 the minister to find out how many adverse incidents were happening in each individual hospital. Mm. So we could compare and contrast to what's happening. He refused to give us that information. He said he would not create a league table, table of mm. hospitals. Yeah. Um, but, but he did give us you, I mean, he made a logical argument whether you accepted it or not as to why he wouldn't do that. This was the argument he gave, but it, 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 it doesn't give us the evidence that we need in relation to what hospitals are safe and what hospitals aren't. So in the middle of all this chaos, in the middle of winter, in the middle of a hospital surge, when A&Es are literally out the door, we have the HSE come up with an idea to close NAV and A&E. First of all, two ambulances in level one and level two triage categories, and then in the new year to close it in total. Um, you couldn't make this up, and the, nobody can understand this. And uh, We've put out a petition to uh, doctors in the, uh, the whole county, asking them to sign it. The petition states that they oppose the closure of NAV and A&E. Doctors are now signing it across the county and sending it back to us. With the same petition now in the hospital itself for staff, mm. they're signing the, the, the petition uh, as well. And incredibly, seven cons- 17 consultants had to come out on uh, Thursday evening yep. to say that closure of NAV and A&E would be a threat to life and health of patients in Drogheda. And you just said it shouldn't happen in winter. I'll just read one paragraph from uh, that letter that they wrote on Thursday, which echoes what you've just said. They say, reconfiguration should not be planned to coincide with the middle of winter. Christmas closures of many community clinical services and on the cusp of the changeover of non-consultant hospital doctors, we have no doubt that you do not want to be associated with any adverse patient outcomes or to replicate the mistakes of previous reconfigurations. That is what the doctors said to the minister. But as I understand things as they stand, this protocol is to be implemented from Monday, sending patients from one unsafe hospital to a hospital that is now about to be made unsafe for patients. Well, first of all, every hospital that has overcrowding is unsafe, by definition. There is, a, there is a very clear correlation between trolleys and chairs in an A&E and people's having a, a, a worse health outcome. If you wait for more than five hours for a, to see a doctor in an A&E, you are more likely to have a worse health outcome than if you're seen uh, straight away. So every hospital that is currently overcrowded A&E-wise uh, hasn't got full safety. I, I rang and I called Hikwa yesterday. Hikwa is the authority that's meant to regulate the, uh, the, uh, the hospitals. And I've asked them to carry out an investigation into what happens with... Why did you uh, do that? I heard you saying that yesterday. And the first thing I thought is, why is he making this a political stunt? 
No, seriously, why, 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 why are you looking well, for publicity? You know, Hikwa won't investigate it. It's not I their think- role. Anybody who, uh, who knows anything about the role of Hikwa knows that that is just complete nonsense, and is just looking to talk up the issue and to, to get publicity out of what is a very serious situation. But sometimes you make me smile, Michael. I have to say that, and that's the truth, because Hikwa has just finished a review of the Limerick University Hospital, in which they detail exactly the effects of the closure of Nina and Ennis hospitals on patient safety and overcrowding in Limerick. So there is a precedence to this. They don't act on complaints. They don't investigate at the request of anybody, whether it's a public representative or a member of the public or whoever. Well, it, that's not the response they gave to me. They said that uh, HICWA's job is to ensure that there is uh, proper uh, uh, investigations in relation to what's happening in hospitals. They say they carry them out on at least on an annual basis. Yeah. And they do say that when there is a clear case of difficulty, that that can act as a trigger in relation to them carrying out their reviews. And the 11, uh, the 11 ambulances outside of the hospital on Saturday is a clear trigger for an investigation as far as I'm concerned. And I have a responsibility, Michael, in relation to this. We can't stand idly by and watch patients wait for five hours in ambulances outside of a hospital A&E and do absolutely nothing about this. And just for your your listeners to know, there will be a meeting of the Save Navin Hospital campaign tomorrow night in the New Grange at 8 o'clock in Navin. And I know people have been to the well a number of times before, but this is a key issue. And, you know, I've, I have no doubt that those 11 ambulances outside of the A&E in Drogheda are a warning sign that none of us can afford to ignore. None of us can. Because someday it could be you or me waiting for that five hours outside an A&E just to get inside to sit on a trolley or a chair. And we can't stand by and watch that happen. So I really encourage people to come out in numbers in relation to the public meeting in the New Grange uh, tomorrow night. Okay. Uh, do you have uh, confidence in the Minister? I've absolutely no confidence in the Minister. And I will say this as well, I've no confidence in senior HSC staff. Anybody that I'm speaking to, Michael, in the health service are aghast. They're dumbfounded. They cannot get their heads around the fact that the senior HSC and the Minister would allow a decision such as this to happen in the middle of the winter surge. Nobody can understand it. And the, the only thinking I can do, and you mentioned the word politics there before, the only mm. thinking that I can do is that the HSC have allowed this to happen because they think that there's going to be a ministerial reshuffle just in a, in, in, in a couple of weeks, and they want to have the first part of this two-stage closure complete before the next minister comes in, so that there's a feeling that there's a fait accompli about this decision and that the new minister is not going to uh, stop the decision. And the other element of this is, it's not by accident, I, I, I think, that the HSC have decided to do this when, the, uh, when Minister Helen McEntee is on maternity leave. Um, we don't have a minister at cabinet level pushing back against this at the moment. Um, they, I, I honestly believe that the HSC have no credibility in terms of their delivery of accident and emergency services in this region and this region is heading towards the Limerick experience and, and the, the, minister, the minister is weak he's, he's not able to push back uh, he has been played you know, uh, left, right and centre by senior HSE management and unless he's actually able to stand up to them he should go Okay, well 
We live there for the moment. Thank you indeed, Padre Bain, uh, and to founder and leader uh, TD for Mead West and uh, chair of uh, the Save Navin Hospital campaign. Some comments. A lot of people are getting in touch about this uh, today. Understandably so, I suppose. Valerie Indrahada says, in relation to the hospitals in Navin and Indrahada, these issues have been going on for years. The solution, she says, is simple. Upgrade Navin with support from Drogheda and open a minor injury unit in Drogheda and all the problems would be solved. Thank you, Valerie, for that. Maul says, I can't understand understand why everyone is so annoyed about Stephen Donnelly doing nothing about Navin Hospital. She's wondering, why are you so annoyed? Or why are you surprised, perhaps? Because Maul says, do you not know our politicians don't care? God, that's very cynical. His family won't be brought to Navin when they're sick, so why on earth should he care about your family? Time and again, people vote the same clowns in, then complain when they won't do anything, says Mall. Tom in Navin says, Michael, I've worked it out. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael know that they're not going to get very many seats in the next general election, so what they're doing now is to leave big enough a mess behind them so they can shout it across the doll uh, complaining about it. This can only be the reason that uh, they're looking so incompetent. It's all a game to these politicians, but it's our lives uh, that they're playing with uh, when it comes uh, to the hospital in Navin, says Tom. Uh, another caller in touch with us, uh, I think it's uh, Claire in Drogheda, who uh, doesn't like the hospital in Drogheda being called the Lourdes. Uh, call it Our Lady of Lourdes. Uh, she's very irritated because I called it the Lourdes. I think a lot of people call it the Lourdes, do they not? Uh, thank you, though, uh, for sharing that with us. Uh, and uh, if you haven't been in touch, as always, we'd love to hear from you. If you do want to call us, our phone number is 041 983 You can text or WhatsApp 86 658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reed Show with Airgrid managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. If you're in business, finally some good news when it comes uh, to the bills because the EU Commission has approved state aid to be given to businesses to help with uh, those bills. Uh, The Temporary Business Energy Support Scheme is open for applications now. This is for businesses uh, to help them with uh, their electricity or natural gas costs. There is a, a lot of money available and it will help people's bills dating back to the 1st of September. Let's speak to Martin Hayden, the Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture. Good morning, Minister. As I say, people can qualify for payments now. Yeah, the Temporary Business Energy Support Scheme, Michael, has been probably the biggest part of Budget 2023 announcement. And our focus in the budget was about uh, back in business and putting money back in people's pockets, whether that was through cutting tax providing special cost of living payments and helping with energy bills. And we know how much pressure business is under all across Mead and Loud and the rest of the country. And it's really important there that we have these supports. We support these businesses all throughout COVID um, and, you know, so that they would uh, survive and continue to employ the so many thousands of people to do all around the country. Mm. And that's what the Temporary Business Support Scheme is about now, that businesses can now apply for as and from yesterday. Who, who is it that qualifies? Uh, because everybody has seen uh, massive jumps in their bills uh, and uh, there's up to 40% of additional costs that will be paid out to some businesses. 
Yeah, so basically, in simple terms, a business needs to be able to demonstrate that between September of this year and September of last year, they've seen more than a 50% increase in their energy bills, um, whether that's gas or electricity. And, you know, that's not going to be hard for most businesses to show. And in that space, then, um, once they're tax compliant and uh, provide a few basic details, uh, they'll be able to qualify for support payments of up to um, 40% of the additional increase in costs. Um, up to a maximum of €10,000 per month uh, for businesses. And in, in certain circumstances, where businesses are, are are located across a number of locations, they may be able to qualify for a maximum of up to €30,000. Um, oh. so, so really it's about um, being able to demonstrate that you've increased your costs in energy by more than 50% um, on this time last year. OK, it'll come as a considerable assistance, uh, undoubtedly, to help people uh, through this. Uh, overall, the scheme is going to cost €1.2 billion Euro was uh, approved by the European Commission, uh, but uh, it needs uh, to come into force under the finance bill, which won't be enacted until December. So I take it payments won't be made uh, until January, but you're inviting applications now. Exactly. So uh, companies were able to register from the 26th of November, and now we're open for claims. So uh, companies can um, make those claims now, and we hope to have payment by late December. As you say, this is a a European um, support system, because obviously we have to comply with European rules around state aid. Um, But, you know, this scheme will be open till the end of February, and it's open to review then, um, where we see where where everyone's at in terms of our energy costs and energy bills, but it will be backdated from the 1st of September. So those businesses that do get paid and qualify, that do get paid later in December, uh, will be getting back pay back to the 1st of September. So, you know, that that's very much needed. And I know from dealing with a range of different uh, mm. small businesses around the country, it's um, that, that back pay and knowing that coming will be uh, the difference for some businesses um, in, in decisions they make about continuing trading or not throughout the winter. Okay, because some people might be wondering where they're going to get the time in December to do this uh, very busy time of the year for a lot of traders in particular but if they apply in January or February and it's processed it'll be backdated to September. Well, I can assure you that probably most businesses I know will definitely be putting this as a priority because okay. it, it mm. can be the difference between survival or not in, in yeah. some circumstances mm. for small business. It's very straightforward. They need a tax reference number, the registered name, address and biz- of the business, and whether the business started trading um, or profession started trading on or after the 1st of September 2021. Um, in circumstances where it might be a new business or they don't have the comparison to an energy bill at this time last year, they can still apply and Sustainable Energy Ireland, SEAI, will provide a deemed reference unit price uh, for the range of um, MPRN and GPRN, whether it's electricity or gas, for each of all those months of September 21 to February 22. So even if you don't have that comparator uh, bill from this time last year, you can still apply and be assessed under that system. Okay, uh, and grants of up to 10,000 a month off your electricity bill or up to 30,000 if you have multiple premises? Yeah, subject to certain conditions, the 30,000 element. But yeah, 10,000... Euro, as I say, what the grant is, um, is a maximum of 40% of the increase. So obviously, if you're getting 10,000 a month, you have seen a really, really dramatic increase um, in your energy bills. And as I say, that is affecting the viability of businesses. And we're really conscious. We've supported businesses through COVID with the EWIS and the different uh, support mechanisms there so that these businesses can continue to hold on to their staff and continue to employ people. And the last thing we want to do is see in this cost of living crisis um, that those businesses now don't survive that. So it's about getting through this winter and, and, you know, taking stock in the new year to see where we're at as well. And if government needs to do more at that stage, we will. Okay, very good. Minister, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you, Michael. That's Minister of State at uh, the Department of Agriculture, Martin Hayden.
086-1800-658-3-2000. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. Now to e-bikes and e-scooters and some concerns that are being raised by a personal injury solicitor, Liam Maloney, who's on the line with us. A very good morning to you, Liam, and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. You're uh, concerned at uh, the age of some of uh, the people using these vehicles, that uh, they're inexperienced drivers, they don't know the rules of the road, and that in some circumstances uh, they're driving at speeds faster than cars are allowed to drive at. Uh, good morning, Michael. Yes, this is a problem that the government have accepted um, in, and they have legislated for the regulation and the use of e-scooters and e-bikes and that bill is currently going through the doll, but it won't be law until the, probably the end of next year. Now, the current position is that e-scooters and e-bikes do not require registration uh, if they can travel at a speed of less than 25 kilometres per hour. And that means... T- tax and uh, insurance as well. So there's quite a grey area in relation to their operation and use and I know the Gardaí have had considerable difficulties in relation to the enforcement of law around their use because it isn't clear whether they are required to have registration but under the new bill that's going to be tightened up but the guards have seized quite a number of these e-scooters and I suppose most people now in big towns and cities will actually see the growth in their use Mm. and I suppose you have a cocktail now on the Irish roads of people on these e-scooters particularly younger people and you know traveling at very in some cases at high speeds and their use you know in relation to being on the roads with pedestrians and cars and trucks they just have to be legislated and, and provided for correctly. Mm. Well, they're everywhere, but I think there's going to be an awful lot more of them in January after the Christmas presents are given. Yeah, I think, mm. I think my understanding is that the companies that are looking at supplying a considerable number of these e-scooters and e-bikes into the Irish market are waiting until the bill has been passed. I think then they can lawfully provide or supply these uh, e-scooters to the Irish market. One of the companies involved is a European company have have mentioned figures of about 10,000 e-scooters. Now, I'm, you know, all in favour of environmentally alternative modes of transport, and I think most people would be, but the real question is, is the Irish roads infrastructure ready for that, ready for such an increase of their use on the Irish roads? And we we see, uh, in my job as a solicitor, we see more and more, unfortunately, accidents occurring as a result of their use. And sometimes you see these e-scooters going up footpaths. And at the law as it stands at the moment is that's illegal. And it's illegal actually for an e-scooter to be on an Irish road as well mm. because they're not insured. Yeah. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's no requirement to insure them because so, deemed to be... So what happens then, because this is your particular area of expertise, what happens if there is an accident and there is no insurance? Well, firstly, you would have to establish the owner, of course, of the of the e-scooter. But the reality is, if that somebody, if somebody is on an e-scooter and they're not insured, they won't have insurance unless it's provided by a rental company, and that's, you know, unusual now in Ireland because that would be in the minority of cases. If you're, tra- you know, if you're in a city abroad, a lot of these e-scooters and e-bikes are provided by rental companies, so they are insured. So if an accident occurs and you suffer a loss, if you're knocked down by somebody on one of these uh, e-bikes or e-scooters, you have a recourse to be compensated because they're insured. But in Ireland, if it happens, you won't be compensated because unless the, the person that is on the e-scooter is, is a person of means. Hmm. So they're not, they're, by law, they're not supposed to be on the roads. And the guards have actually seized a number of these e-scooters over the last number of years. And the figures that are coming out show that there were actually 200 traffic collisions in 2021. And whether those you know, re- figures are accurate or higher, I don't know. Hmm. So what, what if the e-scooter rider is injured? Um, is the driver liable or potentially well, liable? That would depend on the circumstances of the accident. But in those circumstances, if a case went to court, the judge would be treating the e-scooter user as effectively somebody on a pedal bike. So the duty is probably higher on the driver of the car mm. rather than the person that's on the e-scooter. Right. Because at the moment, they are under law. If it's traveling under less than 25 kilometers per hour, which a lot of them are, they're deemed to be a pedal bike. They don't need to be insured. They don't have, you don't have to, have to have a license to, to cycle them or, or use them. And they don't have to be registered. Mm. No tax. Yeah. They don't have to be registered for tax. No but, lights. Effectively, well, the guards do stop, and I've seen it myself, the guards do stop people on, on them and check what the design me- me- uh, mm. modifications and to ensure that there's no design modifications to, to the speed, yeah. because some of them, as you know, can be, you know, can be, as was interfered with, uh, to ensure that they can go faster, mm. and their legislation is going to look at that as well. And they are trying to pull it together in this new road traffic bill. Yeah, but under the new bill, uh, as I understand it, anybody of any age will be able to drive uh, any of uh, these vehicles once they can't exceed 25 kilometres. That's that's correct. There's no age. Anywhere on the footpath or on the road or anywhere at any time. Not on, my understanding is they're not going to allow them on the motorways. And, and <laughs> oh, God. Oh, right, that's okay. my understanding. That's, 
like that goes in, okay. in the bill. Yes. <laughs> they're going to introduce a new category yeah. of vehicle known yeah. as powered personal transporters. Yeah. And that's a vehicle that's described as you know designed for carrying one person mm. um, and but with a maximum speed between 6 kilometers and 25 kilometers. They're and very, they're very popular with drug dealers uh, apparently uh, and I take it that there's uh, no restriction on driving these things if you're on drugs or drunk. No, if they're over 20 if you're traveling at a speed over 25 uh, kilometers, then it's deemed you're deemed then to be driving a, a motorbike. And yeah. then the regular, you must be licensed. But, but once it's under the insured. 25 kilometres. No, there, if it's under 25 kilometres, yeah. it does not require to, it's, it's treated in the same way as a pedal tricycle, pedal bike. Yeah. Or if it's designed for people with a restricted mobility, it's not required mm. to be licensed. And what, what about a pedi- pe- pedal bicycle? Um, I had a, a really interesting experience. I thought it was interesting, but maybe people won't uh, agree. Uh, but people listening to us uh, will know the Rat Mullen Road in Drogheda, and it's a, a fairly steep hill. Uh, I was driving home from the radio station one day at 30 kilometres an hour. I could see that because the car obviously was reading 30 kilometres an hour. And there was a bicycle ahead of me, uh, and the bicycle was going so fast uh, that he stayed ahead of me, and he wasn't even pedalling uh, because of the hill. Uh, but as we got to the bottom of the hill, the cyclist mounted the footpath just at the park, at Dominic's Park there. And as he went onto the footpath at 30 kilometres an hour, a woman was walking out of the park with a pram and jumped back just in time. Uh, what would happen in a situation like that had he hit that woman or the pram? I, I think he, he could be prosecuted in those circumstances. I think he could be prosecuted for, you know, creating the hazard or danger on on the on the footpath. But there is a lacuna as it stands in the law. Yeah. Uh, and if he's to be treated, you you would have to prove that he was travelling at a speed of over twenty five kilometres an hour to be treated, um, not to be treated as a pedal bike. Mm. Um, it's an interesting, very interesting question, but it is yeah, something but it, that it, is it, happening more and more around the, because of their yeah. use on footpaths and roads. Well, the reason uh, I mentioned is that it points to what is now a cultural phenomenon uh, and uh, the attitude uh, towards road safety in general. Uh, I mean, I see so many young people walk out in front of cars uh, thinking, well, I'm here first, the car will have to stop. Uh, not considering for a second what will happen if uh, the car doesn't have time to stop or didn't see you, uh, and uh, that it's far bigger uh, than you and far stronger and will do you an awful lot more damage than you'll do it. But also this thing about going on the footpath. We see bicycles, we see e-scooters, uh, we see people on all sorts of things, and they believe that they have the right of way. Uh, you'll see them ringing bells at people, asking them to get out of their way. Yeah, but th- this is, uh, as I said earlier on in the, in our interview, the our Irish roads, is our infrastructure set up for such a dramatic increase once the new bill comes into place? Is, are, are the roads and footpaths in towns in Ireland, you know, set up for this? Mm. Are, are they able to cater for such an increased use, uh, in, increase in their use? Well, they were designed for the most part for horse and carts and uh, people laugh at me when I say if we're going to go this route, great, uh, but let's have one-way streets uh, and uh, designate uh, different lanes on each street to cars, one lane to bikes uh, or, or motorbikes, the other lane, e-sco- e-scooters and bicycles, then maybe a third lane. 
Yeah, it's a, it's an element of catch up. You know, when you do go to European cities, they are designed like their infrastructure in, in those cities are designed for the use of e-scooters and e-bikes and they work extremely well because people are so used to I suppose living with the e-scooters and e-bikes mm. and cars and walking and they have defined traffic lanes and and pedestrian walkways and you make sure you stay out of the way and it works very very well in those countries but I I don't think we're ready for that just yet. Okay, uh, maybe I can conclude by asking you, Lee Maloney, as a personal injury solicitor, is this going to result in a, a lot of new business for you, whether you want it or not? Well, I, uh, I think, unfortunately, unless the infrastructure in certain, you know, where they're being used is changed and there's an increased look at safety, I think there will be, unfortunately, more collisions. Ultimately, who's responsible then? Well, then that's a matter for the courts. Okay, <laughs> and uh, that's the question. Uh, will the courts be very busy, I suppose, and clogged up with a lot of these cases? Uh, we'll leave it there for the moment, Liam. Time will tell. I take it. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Liam Maloney, personal injury solicitor. 086-1800-658 The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it. The killing and uh, subsequent mutilation of uh, Keane Mulready Woods pretty much three years ago now in January of uh, 2020 was one of uh, the most shocking murders not just in this part of the world but uh, indeed internationally. Uh, but it certainly is something that struck people in the northeast, not just in the Drogheda area, but far and wide, and led to an outcry from the public to call a halt to the ongoing criminality that had become the notorious Drogheda drugs feud. Yesterday, 27-year-old Paul Crosby, who had been due to stand trial, accused of the murder of Keane Mulready Woods in January of next year, went before the Special Criminal Court where he was arraigned on a new charge. This charge stated that between the 11th and 13th of January 2020, He facilitated a criminal organisation in the commission of a serious offence in Drogheda, namely the murder of Keane Mulready Woods. Paul Crosby stood in the dock and he replied guilty to the charge. Let's speak uh, to Pat Murray, who's a retired Garda detective and author of The Making of a Detective, which tells of his time working in the Northeast as a detective where he investigated some of the most notorious crimes in Irish history. Pat, good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. When you were on the beat in the Northeast, you'd have come across Paul Crosby many, many years ago, I think. Yes, uh, Paul was a name that constantly popped up in the criminal fraternity around Drogheda from a very young age. Like I, I remember prosecuting cases in the district court, and uh, he, he was uh, always appearing there on, uh, you know, charges, you know, criminal damage, public order, all that type of stuff, and he. he was uh, one of the people that you could see he was um, just destined for for criminality and that was it. He got every chance under the sun and we had a very good judge there at the time, Fran Brennan, who 
took an interest in young people and sort of gave them every opportunity to to turn their way away from criminality and and uh, gave let's say organisations every facility to do their best for young people. But if it came to a stage that look at this man is not learning anything from getting his chances. Uh, he just has to go to jail, and that's just the way it went for Paul Crosby. Mm. And uh, he was, we could all we could all see it in him. Like, you know, he was a guy who was, he was, you know, he was he was destined for, for uh, bigger things in the criminal fraternity. Like, you know... Would you say that that was an ambition of his? Well, it's the path he took. Yeah. Um, he, he had a degree of... I suppose the younger people around him feared him and stuff like that, and he and he lived on all of that, lived, lived mm. off that type of uh, personality, like yeah. you know. And then he yeah. got involved with bigger criminals then in in the drug trade, and he, he was a person who was, let's say, fearless, like you know, mm. and, uh, and known for that. Uh, his name is well known uh, around Drogheda, and people feared Paul Crosby, but yeah. uh, with good reason, I think. Yeah, well, he was. He was a person that you didn't mess with, or you got a good. Thump on the jaw. That's about the height of it, like you know. Mm. And uh, he he was he was one. Uh, I suppose with the criminal fraternity he got in with at the, at the end of the, the criminal organisation, they are the, they are the let's say the um, uh, the qualities they would look in. You know, he he was a person that wasn't afraid. He was going to take his or he was going to do his things, and that's that's it, like you know. Mm. And, uh, and par- part of that was prison life. Uh, that wouldn't have deterred him at all, obviously. No, no, absolutely not. A lot of these guys would see it as a badge of honour and that type of stuff, you know, and it even become more uh, feared in the in the community, you know. So, mm, okay. so that's just the way it goes. Uh, part, part, part of uh, yeah, the, part of that the, that sort of make up and of what a criminal organisation is made up of, like you know, and people in it, like you know. Mm, yeah, um, there were. Uh, small enough drug dealers I, I think when they started off um, uh, I mean you've been looking at this fellow since he was a petty criminal making his way up the ladder and then that soon escalated into a very big drugs trade uh, I think in Drogheda yeah. uh, and yeah. with that came uh, the muscle and the guns Yes absolutely and then you had uh, let's say Incidents is uh, just short of murder, like you, where petrol bombs were thrown at houses and shots being fired through windows. I remember in one occasion uh, when I was there, there were shots fired through a window and there was a, a girl bending down to pick up her baby. And as she bent down, the bullet went in through the window and scraped her back as she, as she, she, she bent down. Now, if it was a second either way, she would have got it in the chest or more horrifically, if she lifted up the baby, uh, the baby would have been hit like with this bullet. Mm. So we had near incidences, but like very, very serious uh, carry on by these criminal gangs, like, you know, Mm. one trying to get one up on the other, like, and uh, trying to establish that they didn't fear anything and they were the they were the the, the drug organization in town. And that's that's the way it went, like, you know. And, yeah, people uh, will uh, remember uh, the shooting on uh, the cement road. Um, six uh, shots uh, from a shotgun uh, into Owen McGuire. Yeah, 
Um, uh, Robbie Lawler is said to have uh, been responsible for that. He, he's linked uh, also to the killing of, of uh, Keemal Reedy really Woods with Paul yeah. Crosby. Uh, yeah. But there was a, a video going around after that shooting uh, that a lot of people would have seen and you, you couldn't talk uh, about, obviously, because of uh, the potential for criminal action and what is yeah. subdue to say and what's not. But it, it was yeah. Paul Crosby taunting uh, Owen McGuire. Yeah, yeah, and look, that's what went on. And when Owen Maguire ended up in hospital and he's, I think, paralysed from the neck down, uh, people were were sending him cards or ringing him uh, and, and taunting him and that type of stuff, like you know. So look at it; it's you know that's just the the, the savagery of these people, like you know, mm. it's like there is nothing good in it. There's just pure badness and evilness that that's within these people that'll do these things you know and that's that's it in a nutshell and uh, how do you uh, what do you do like you know to stop this but like with all criminal organisations and if you look at the Kinahan they all come to an end and they overstep the mark and then you have the police who are very skilled in investigations and if you have the right team of people they will pursue the perpetrators of these crimes and they will dig into the criminal organisation and disband them and that's what happened in Drogheda and I have to say Drogheda was uh, um, lucky to have a chief superintendent there uh, at the time who was highly skilled investigator and uh, the man who, who set up the, the review the, the criminal review team like you know mm-hmm. so he was um, you know so he, he, a lot of things came together that that's a um, uh, built a team there that that could tackle these people uh, and tackle, let's say, the, the just not let's say the, the, the murder of Keen Mulready Woods, but let looked at the where is all this coming from and who are the other people involved and you know and that's what the the, the guards and Drogheda did and I must say they they done a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah, well they obviously uh, left him with no option but to plead guilty uh, and I understand from reports uh, that himself and Robbie Lawler were identified as a suspect within hours of uh, the murder of Keane Mulready Woods and that they were captured on CCTV at the centre in uh, Ballsgrove uh, carrying a, a sports bag uh, yeah. and um uh, God knows what was in that bag, uh, but I, I take it Crosby had no option but to plead guilty because of the weight of evidence against him. Yeah, well, he was initially charged with the murder, but I can I know from uh, experience that you may have someone uh, charged with murder, and you worked very hard to get that charge or to get the DPP that will make a decision to charge someone, and then when it goes to court. Um, uh, the goalposts could change slightly and then you have, let's say, barristers who are prosecuting may not be as overwhelmed as the DPP would have been, let's say, with the evidence there and they may have, some things may have happened in, in the meantime that would, let's say, play on the side of um, Paul Crosby uh, of getting off with the murder or there's a doubt would maybe uh, arise, you know. So um, he was then charged with uh, facilitating a criminal organisation to commit a serious offence to wit the murder of Keane Mulready Woods, which he, he pleaded guilty to. And there was plenty of evidence there 
to you know that mm. if he pleaded not guilty to that, uh, would have, he would have been uh, convicted. I would say, you know. Okay. Uh, but look at it. It's can, all. Can, can, like, you, can, you, know, can it, you explain what that charge is and what the plea, guilty plea is? Uh, what, yeah. what, what, what has he admitted to doing? Yeah, he's admitted to facilitating a criminal organisation right. to commit a serious offence. Now, a serious offence is anything that's covered, that's over, uh, that carries more than a five-year sentence, like, you know. And uh, and he facilitated this criminal organisation to, to, to commit the, the crime of murder on he and Mulready Woods, you know. So that's and, and very, we, very we, serious. You know, we, that, that uh, criminal organisation is not named or the people... Uh, responsible no. for the murder of Kemal Reedy Woods are not named. But Paul Crosby has said and pleaded guilty to facilitating that organisation in yes. killing him. Yes. But you can you can bet your life that the guards have a full background and uh, portrait of this criminal organisation and who was involved in it and uh, from the lowest, uh, let's say, drug dealer right up to the top person and will be able to incorporate them in that criminal organisation, you know. So that's why it was that it could be named in the charge as facilitating a criminal organisation to commit a serious offence. So, um, uh, you know, what sentence will he get now? Mm. Uh, and and that's, that's the thing now. I, I know... Uh, I think it, um, it there was a, a case recently where, uh, but uh, the circumstances are different there, where a guy pleaded guilty to something similar, but I think he got a four-year sentence when he's the person who's going to uh, cooperate with the state and give an evidence against the monk, like, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, but this is a different uh, kettle of fish, per se, and, and I know maybe facilitating a criminal organisation may well fall into the bracket of conspiracy, and conspiracy carries a maximum sentence of 10 years at present, even though the minister has is bringing forward a bill which will increase uh, that uh, from 10 years to life, which it should be life, you know, okay. because you can, you can have someone who can facilitate the crime and being very, very... Um, Let's say uh, you know that the, the, their facilitating was 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 a, a maximum effect on the, the murder being. Okay. Uh, so, like, uh, it, 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 I'm sure the facts will 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 come out. Yeah, uh, and, and we uh, we've all heard there's a second man, Jared Cruz, uh, who yeah. uh, is his co-accused, and he's also yes, expected yes. to plead guilty when uh, he comes before the special criminal court next month. Uh, yeah. The special criminal court doesn't have a jury, so it's the judges then who will decide now what's uh, appropriate. I was reading this morning that for this particular charge, the maximum sentence is 15 years, but a maximum sentence is rarely handed down, is it? Uh, there's always mitigating yeah. factors. So this well, the mit- mitigating factor for Paul Crosby is that he, he pleaded guilty. Uh, pleading guilty uh, is that right? Uh, I'm accepting what, what you're saying. And number two, is that uh, a trial will not have to take place, uh, you know, in front of the special criminal court, and that uh, the family of 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 Keen Mulready Woods would be spared the uh, terrible details of the crime that occurred, you know. So uh, he uh, he will get brownie points for that. Yes, there's no doubt about that. Like you know, and time. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. So like he he. he you know, maybe he's what he's doing a three-year sentence or something at the moment or whatever. Maybe that'll be running with the whatever he gets. You know, yeah. uh, I think he's been sentenced now in January or whatever. So, like, look, okay. that's 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 where that's at. Like, yeah. the, the judges are quite um, 
quite solid in their giving their sentence and they have to have a rationale uh, mm. which they will give as well like you know yeah. and we might not always agree with judges but uh you know, they, they, they will do a good job, I, I believe. And but they the Gardaí... Yeah, and the Gardaí have done... Like, you know, you have a fabulous... Like, I worked mm. for 10 years uh, in, in, in the Lowe Division, mm. uh, the detective inspector, and I had to have teams of investigators in both Drogheda, Dundalk and RD. And uh, I have to say, and I, I'll say it again, the standard of detectives in those stations in those districts are just phenomenal. They're mm. really, really, really good people. Really use their mm. head, really w- work well. I had great teams. They, we, we all were on the same hymn sheet. We solved some, you know, serious, serious crimes and uh, ones that you would think that couldn't be solved, but mm. all crimes are solvable. But if you have a good team, they will and uh, they, they, they will produce the goods, you know, under yeah. proper direction and that, you know. Well, but, uh, it, it's uh, certainly something uh, that's of huge significance. The Gardaí have showed their worth uh, by securing uh, this conviction. Uh, dreadful, by the way, to listen to you talk uh, about a young Paul Crosby, a young offender who was inevitably going to end up uh, in a situation. But I suppose yeah. that's life uh, at the same time. I think everybody yeah, would yeah, like yeah. to uh, congratulate on Garda Siakana on this success because it's not just a success for the guards. It's a, a great day for the community to put Paul Crosby It, it is, bars. of course. And, and you have to look at the team from the top down in, in Drogheda you had uh, Christy Mangan, who who was uh, the chief superintendent there, who was very skilled in investigations, and someone who was able to uh, rally the troops and people and guards respected uh, Christy, and he was he, he he ran a very good outfit. And uh, you have uh, a detective inspector there, Aidan McCabe, who was uh, excellent at uh, he would have been the senior investigating officer and putting a lot of. Uh, the evidence together and it's not an easy job and it's it's relentless an investigation and I know because I've, I've God I've, I've spent years trying to you know like you, you take Adrian Dunnes it took us five years to get a person before the court the the double murder in Ravensdale it took me three years to get the person before the court so like um, the guards have to be comp- uh, you know have to be uh, recognised for the the hard and dedicated work and it is hours and hours of hard graft and uh, that's what gets you there, you know. Okay, Pat, thank you very much uh, for speaking to us uh, this morning. I think you've given us a, a great insight uh, to the background of all this. Uh, and uh, thank you, uh, as I say, Pat Murray, retired guard detective inspector, uh, who uh, writes a, a about his time in the Louth Division in uh, the book The Making of a Detective. Michael at lmfm.ie. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid, managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Now, from one feud, uh, that of uh, the feud between uh, the drugs gangs in Drogheda and the conversation about Paul Crosby pleading guilty yesterday to uh, another feud between drugs gangs which has seen some horrible uh, attacks, uh, petrol bombs and all of that sort of thing and a Nasset uh, attack apparently in Newry uh, and has resulted in the murder of Mark Lovell. Uh, 
who was shot some 15 times last Thursday. Uh, let's speak uh, to Kevin Mean and Sinn Féin councillor in Louth. Good morning to you, Kevin, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, Mark Lovell lived, uh, uh, as I understand it, in Woodbury Gardens, just near the Avenue Road in Dundalk, uh, before moving to Newry after getting shot. Uh, thanks for having me on, uh, Michael. Yeah, he's he wasn't known to myself. I, I wasn't. I didn't know him. I, I know the area well. I would know the people. Who, a lot of the people who live in that street as well. Uh, and as I say, it was fairly it was fairly shocking when it happened at the time because nobody was expecting a, a shooting to happen in that area for one. Uh, it seems to be a very settled street, and then to have the connections with Newry. So, uh, in, in, in my game, you tend to sort of hear the names and faces, and you talk to people on the ground. He wouldn't have been one that would have been. Uh, or popular in terms of our topical in terms of, of, of that discussion uh, and again it, I follow like yourself what's happened in Uri mm. and I, I've been following that with our interest as well because in the dark now we are saw border between obviously Drada and Uri and you've a feud you've feud in both areas now so and again because of the, the close proximity to all three uh, it's, it's inevitable sadly that it'll probably have an effect in Dundalk at some stage, yeah. you know, as we've seen on that night in Woodbury Gardens. Well, he, he, he was shot uh, in Woodbury Gardens in October. His dog was killed, apparently, in that attack, and you'd assume he moved to Newry, believing he'd be safer there. Yeah, and then I think there's, there's uh, issues in regards to court cases up there with family members, so... Uh, as I say, it's it's uh, it, it's hard to know, mm. and to say it's it's so close between all three areas. So you're you're it's only a, a trot down the road really from from the dock to Newry. Yeah. So and and as I say, and and you have connections there. As I say, you have connections everywhere, and people are are doing their business in one town and probably staying in another for fear of being attacked. Okay, his daughter is Whitney. She's thirty years of age. She was refused bail in Newry on some. Uh, drug charges, a dozen drug charges to do with supply of heroin, cocaine, cannabis and amphetamines uh, and his son uh, uh, is in Newry as well where police launched uh, an appeal to track him down in connection with an undisclosed incident in May of this year there's reports uh, that um, his son may have been the actual target in the attack that killed Mark Lovell yeah, we would have heard that actually on the night. And again, that name, when said to some of ourselves, would have been sort of new to us. We wouldn't have heard of that name. Uh, so he wasn't synonymous with this area. Uh, he would have been, I, I spoke to people in Newry and he was, they were fairly well known down there, but not as well known down here. There wouldn't have been much talk about them up here. So I think that's sort of what, what happens as well. I think they, they, they sort of live outside the general area where they're, where they're where, where their, say their activities happen and uh, and what's worrying too in, in talking to people down here is, is uh, when people do move to different areas let's say you often hear the mistaken identity and other people are attacked and uh, that's a worrying concern for, for residents who, who may unwittingly think somebody beside them is quiet and grand and there's no issues with them and, and not realise that they may be involved in serious crime in a different jurisdiction Okay uh, from what I'm reading, there's a, a feud between two gangs, uh, one in Uri and one in Armagh. Uh, are, are the gangs in Armagh selling drugs in Dundalk? 
I would say that I'd say all all three are fairly close. Uh, I'd say you can combine all three towns, and as I say, we would mm-hmm. certainly have had known connections in, in Zarda that were operating in Dundalk yeah. uh, quite closely. Well, you're preempted by next question: Are the gangs in Uri selling dr- drugs in Dundalk, uh, uh, and is there a turf battle? Yeah, I, I would say uh, inevitably with so many people uh, in that trade at the moment, it's it's like. Uh, it, it's it's only natural that this will happen. You see it elsewhere, and uh, and somebody will try and get greedy and out muscle somebody else, and 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 you've already seen this say, rather more prominently, and also now starting to see a fairly serious escalation of violence in Derry. Uh, my fear is that it will happen in, in Dundalk. Uh, it's hard to know at this stage, but sad inevitability of this is it probably will. And uh, we've already seen incidents down here, as in the shooting in Woodbury Gardens, uh, as I say. And uh, I, I hope that the guards have a good handle on this. Uh, I, I, I don't think they particularly knew of this gentleman when, when this happened at the time, uh, from, from talking to guards at, at the time. Uh, so that, that, that would also be a fear because, as I say, we don't exactly know who we have. We could we yeah. also have people who are, who are involved in drugs use in, say, Dublin, who move, he's had to see them move to Navin and the far outreaches yeah. uh, towns and setting up business there and then muscling in on local trade. Yeah. And professional uh, killers, I would say. I mean, uh, this was uh, uh, an extraordinary um, sting, wasn't it? I mean, they lay in wait for him and then they shot him 15 times. Yeah, there was a message in that in terms of they weren't missing and uh, they were making sure he wasn't coming back from that. Uh, as I say, and in terms of the Dundalk attack, it, it, it hadn't got the hallmarks of that, of the Newry attack, but the Newry one would would, would, would be a, a severe uh, escalation, I would say. Like they, they weren't missing him that night. So, and, and, and it was evening time as well, so you would have a lot more people out and about moving about. It wasn't like in the dead of night. Okay. So as I say, there, and, and there's been no trace, there seems to be no evidence of, of who was involved. I, I'm sure the, the police on both sides have are starting to get a better handle on it now, particularly down here, in terms of, of how this is going to impact down here. And who else have we got, say, from the new area that's living down here or moving between both jurisdictions? Okay, Kevin, we leave it there for the moment. Many thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Sinn Féin Councillor in Louth, Kevin Meenan. Call Michael now. 041-983-2000. The Michael Reed Show with AirGrid. Managing and developing the national electricity grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents which Gardaí are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Liam Hennessy joins us from Slane Garda Station for this week's report. And we've a couple of thefts to report on this week. Uh, the first of those from a vehicle in Dundalk and uh, this happened on Wednesday of last week. Good morning, Michael. A theft from a car took place on the Newry Road on the outskirts of Dundalk at approximately 8pm on Wednesday evening, the 30th of November last. A person was approached at this location by a lone male who took a handbag from the front seat of their car. This culprit ran towards a black car, no better described, which then drove off in the direction of Newry and away from the town. My colleagues at Dundalk Garda Station are seeking the assistance of anyone who is in the vicinity of the Newry Road at this time to come forward and provide them with any information in relation to this crime. 
This was a very frightening experience for the person involved, who thankfully was not injured during this ordeal. We've a second theft from a car to report on. We go to Drogheda for this report and this incident which happened on Thursday night, Friday morning. A white Renault Clio was broken into in the Greenhills Villa estate in Drogheda sometime last Thursday night, Friday morning, the 1st and 2nd of December. A quantity of power tools were stolen from this vehicle and the Gardaí at Drogheda wished to speak with anybody who saw anything or heard anything unusual in the Greenhills Villas area at these times to contact them at Drogheda Garda Station or on the Garda Confidential Line 1800 treble 6 treble 1. To, to leak and more items stolen, this time from a building site, and this happened then on Thursday of last week. That's right. On Thursday night, the 1st of December, a mini digger was stolen from the rear of a house under construction at Cushingstown, Dilik. This red and silver Takuchi digger was taken between 9pm and 11pm that evening. Dilik Gardi are anxious to speak with anyone who saw or heard anything unusual in the area at this time to make contact with them and help them solve this crime. To Donor for a burglary that occurred on Friday. On Friday evening last, the 2nd of December, a house was broken into at Tubberfin Donor between 7pm and 10pm in the evening. Entry was gained to the house by forcing open a rear window. A firearm and ammunition were stolen during the course of this burglary and my colleagues at the Leak Garda station would like to speak with anyone who witnessed anything that may be of assistance to them in solving this very serious crime. Into the weekend then and a robbery at a filling station in Trim on Saturday. Um, a robbery occurred at a filling station on the Longwood Road in Trim um, uh, on Saturday morning last, the 1st of December, shortly after 7am. Um, one lone male culprit entered the premises with a knife and demanded money from staff. Due to the quick action of local guardian trim, this person was then arrested a short time later on the outskirts of the town. My colleagues at Trim Garda Station wish to speak with anybody who witnessed this incident to come forward and help them with their investigations. OK, two burglaries in uh, the Slane area over the weekend. That's right. Two burglaries occurred in the Muller Dillon and Davidstown areas of Slane on Saturday night, Sunday morning last. A large quantity of heating and plumbing supplies were taken from the second house in Davidstown. The Gardaí slain are anxious to speak with anybody who saw anything unusual in the area or indeed were offered any of these goods for sale to come forward and help them with their inquiries. Okay, before you leave us today, I know you want to appeal to anyone listening to us uh, today if uh, they have any information uh, about illegal hunting that may be taking place in rural areas and this seems to be becoming a bit of a phenomenon. That's right, Michael. Finally, I would just like to make an appeal to the public, and in particular landowners. The practice of illegal hare hunting with lurcher-type dogs has become more prevalent in the last number of weeks. We are asking the public to keep an eye out for this illegal activity and report it to their local Garda station. The Irish hare is a protected species and it is illegal to hunt it in this way. This has always been conducted being conducted in most instances without the permission of the local landowners. Cardaline Hennessy of Slane Garda Station, thank you indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. 086 1800 658 The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.